Open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 28 as we look at the first nine verses here. Uh, and I, it's a basic title uh, for those who come just for the clever titles. I apologize. I take it right out of the text, and it, the title is, And Isaac Sent Away Jacob. And in these first nine verses, it, it's really a punctuation to what we spent so much time in in Genesis 27. Uh, so my points really just break down the, the family itself. Uh, there's four points, Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, and Esau. Uh, the last two are reversed, but uh, you understand why, because the one despised his birthright. So let us read our text, Genesis 28, in the first nine uh, verses here. And it says, And Isaac called Jacob and blessed him, and charged him, and said unto him, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Pandanaram, to the house of Bethuel, thy mother's father, and take thee a wife from thence of the daughters of Laban, thy mother's brother. And God Almighty bless thee, and make thee fruitful, and multiply thee, that thou mayest be a multitude of people, and give, and give thee the blessing of Abraham to thee, and to thy seed with thee, that thou mayest inherit the land wherein thou art a stranger, which God gave unto Abraham. And Isaac sent, Jake, sent away Jacob, and he went into Pandanaram unto Laban, son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's, and Esau's mother. When Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Pandanaram to take him a wife from thence, and that as he, and that as he blessed him, he gave him a charge, saying, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan, and that Jacob obeyed his father and his mother and was gone to Pandanaram, and Esau, seeing that the daughters of Canaan pleased not Isaac his father, then went to Esau, uh, then went Esau unto Ishmael, and took unto the wives which he had, uh, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebajoth, Nebajoth to be his wife. And we'll discuss more on them uh, before we uh, complete the message. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, again, we uh, ask your blessings upon this teaching, upon this study as we continue through the book of Genesis, Father. You've been so merciful unto us, so good to us in pouring out uh, knowledge and understanding, and nothing, none of that came of me, Father. We give you all the glory and honor for that. We are thankful, Father, to stand in your house this evening, to stand with so many here gathered to be fed of your word. And we ask, Father, we ask, Father, you do away with the distractions of our heart, the concerns of our mind and our pocketbooks, that you allow for us to concentrate on your word here this evening. We ask, Father, your blessings on the business meeting that will follow, your blessings on this church and her people for this new year that we've begun. We ask, Father, mercies for where we failed thee. Blessings upon those few that have been faithful to stand, uh, stand when others are gone and absent, as Brother Steve did, stand when others need led, as Clark does continually with singing to stand and pray for the people as Isaac does continually. I'm thankful for these men. I'm thankful that they show up. I'm thankful that they pray and, uh, and ponder and meditate on the things that we've been charged with handling. And I'm thankful for the urgency at times that I receive from them that we handle this work. And we're thankful, Father, for the opportunity to be together in this season, in this ministry. And again, Lord, we beseech thee for your blessings, and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And we can accurately say that the rest of Genesis really presents the life of Jacob, including his trials with Laban in chapters 28 through 31. 
his trials with Esau, which we'll see more of in chapters 32 and 33, and his sons, which begin in chapter 34 and really carry us throughout the remainder of the book. And the text that we've got tonight, these first nine verses of Genesis 28, we did cover in some detail, uh, boy, months ago at this point, uh, way back when we were going over Genesis 24, and the first time one from Abraham's house went back to uh, the house of Bethuel. Uh, so some of this will be a little review, and that's why I'm really only going to speak, speak to and stick with uh, the family members of this household before they before they start to divide and before we really start to look at their children this is our last opportunity to look at this broken household that we concluded with last time uh, and see where we find them at the beginning of Genesis 28 the first one we look at is Isaac this is the leader of the home the one charged with being the head of the home he's still shaken as we enter into these first nine verses and again chapter breaks come with translation uh, but since we broke our last lesson at the end of Genesis 27, I think it's fair for us to say that we still find him here shaken. Shaken that the Lord's will has prevailed. Shaken that the Lord's will wasn't his. Because sometimes that's why we're shaken, is it not? We think that we are following the will of God. And when it's revealed to us by God or by his man or by those he's put into our lives to speak hope and truth and light into us, we are shaken when we realize it didn't line up. Shaken when we realize it's resulted in maybe another Ishmael, maybe another opportunity missed to represent the gospel well. Isaac is no longer trying to delay or thwart the will of God here. Uh, by the urgency of Rebecca at the conclusion of Genesis 27, and we'll see this if you want to look at it with me, Genesis 27, um, we'll just start in verse 41, and Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing wherewith his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning... For my father are at hand, then will I slay my brother Jacob. And these words of Esau, her elder son, were told to Rebekah. And she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said unto him, Behold, thy brother Esau, as touching thee, doth comfort himself, purposing to kill thee. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice, and arise, flee thou to Laban, my brother, to Haran, and tarry with him a few days, until thy brother's fury turn away, until thy brother's anger turn away from thee, and he forget that which thou hast done to him. Then I will send and fetch thee from thence. Why should I be deprived also of you both in one day? And then that final verse, which we'll see more of here in a moment. I'll go ahead and read it now as a refresher. And Rebekah said to Isaac there in verse 46, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob take a wife of the daughters of Heth, such as these which are of the daughters of the land, what good shall my life do me? Uh, keep in mind, I, uh, Jacob and Esau are not in their 20s here. They're uh, a little bit later in life than that, possibly in their 40s, but we'll deal with that. Uh, well, they were in their 40s in the last chapter, but we'll deal with their age here in just a moment. But we see here that Isaac's shaken. Isaac's no longer standing in the way of the will of God uh, the way he had been, and he hearkens to the words of his wife. This is the entire purpose of what he says here at the beginning of this, is in agreement with his wife, he's sending his son away to find his own wife. The real reason Rebecca engineered Jacob's departure from home was to avoid the anger of Esau, his brother. But her excuse was that she wanted Jacob to find a godly wife. And that could also be something she desired. Um, but we know from the way it's phrased there in Genesis 27, it's for fear that Esau will slay his own brother. It's sad, really, that it's phrased the way that it is. There in verse 45 of, of the previous chapter, until thy brother's anger turn away from thee, and he forget 
that which thou hast done to him. I don't know that, and I, and I won't read into it more than we can, but I don't know that she's alleviating herself of guilt here, but her presentation to Jacob is, you must go for what you have done. Uh, for your own safety, you must go, because he's angry at what you did. Now, the action is on Jacob, but the, the forethought, the imagination to do was a, of hers. The words from Isaac in this blessing are incredibly similar to the first nine verses of Genesis 24, which I'll read for you now, and you can flip back there if you'd like. It says in Genesis 24, verses 1 through 9, And Abraham was old and well stricken in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. Now, we don't see that here of Isaac, of course. And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house, that ruled over all that he had, Put, I pray thee, thy hand under thy thigh, and I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell. But thou shalt go unto my country and to my kindred and take a wife unto my son Isaac. And the servant said unto him, Peradventure the woman will not be willing to follow me unto this land. Must I needs bring thy son again into the land from whence thou camest? And Abraham said unto him, Beware that thou, beware thou that thou bring not my son thither again. The Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and which spake unto me, and that swore unto me, saying, Unto thy seed will I give this land, he shall send his angel before thee. And thou shalt take a wife unto my son from thence. And if the woman will not be willing to follow thee, then thou shalt be clear from this, oath, from this my oath. Only bring not my son thither again. And the servant put his hand under the, th under the thigh of Abraham his master, and swear to him concerning this matter. So her concern there in Genesis 27 lines up very well with Abraham's plan for his son's wife. But the way that this goes down is now these boys are later in life than what uh, Isaac was likely to have been back in Genesis 24. Isaac is uh, sending his son to find his own wife, whereas Abraham sent the faithful servant, which we remember to be a type of the Holy Spirit. There's nothing we've seen of Isaac's household so far that illustrates anyone is waiting on the Lord, that anyone is waiting for the work of the Holy Spirit to lead. Everyone's trying to take the same bull by the horns and lead it around the house. What do bulls do to china shops? I don't know where the phrase came from, but it's pretty easy illustration for us to imagine. And that's what's happened to this home. Rebecca has a, a legitimate concern, and Isaac hearkens under the words of his wife, which in this case isn't a horrible thing, but again, there's not a lot of thinking involved. He says, go, son. He sends Isaac out. Now, mom says this is for a few days. I'll call you back when things simmer down. Moms are always like that. Things are going to settle down real quick. We're all going to get along once again. Don't you worry. We'll have everything figured out by supper time. Uh, supper time, 20 years from now, it all worked out great. This is not the leadership of the Holy Spirit. As we've seen in the previous chapter, this is the leadership of man. Which brings us to our second point, Rebecca. She actually, as I said, planned to send Jacob when the time was right, Genesis 27:45 revealed that. But this plan, uh, she planned to sin for him when the time was right, rather, which we see in verse 45 of chapter 27. But this plan failed. Jacob never did see his mother again. We need to heed the warning, beloved, of James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17, which says, Go to now ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city, and continue there a year, and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. 
For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is a sin. Trusting in the words of James here will discourage our scheming, our helping, and enable us to focus on receiving the will of God for us. Close every door, Father. This was our prayer in our marriage for a long, long time. Where's the next job? Where's the next home? Where's the next opportunity? Where's the next blessing? And man, we would check every single door. But it wasn't until we started praying that the Lord would have some of them doors to be locked, that the Lord would have some of those doors not to open, that we finally felt led. Feels good. I don't know if you ever all have ever said that, but it feels good to say at times, I'm not perfect, but to be able to say at times, I feel led of the Lord. I feel led of the Lord to accept the call and move down to Mississippi and pastor the church there in Mantachi. I feel led of the Lord to do this or that. It feels good because that's how God had intended it. Those pictures that we had in Genesis 24 was because Abraham was led of the Lord. And he trusted his servant and confirmed for his servant that an angel of the Lord would be sent ahead. That these things would be confirmed. And you recall as the faithful servant got to the well, he began to pray very specifically, I might add, for what this woman would be like. This Rebecca. How she would reveal herself. How she would respond to the opportunity to care for a stranger passing by. And before he'd finished praying, she was on her way. I imagine it felt pretty good to be led of the Lord to that well. Felt pretty good to see that she was led of the Lord to the well as well. This brings us to Esau. Verses 6 through 9 of our text illustrates the conflict of the flesh and the spirit. Esau, the flesh, deliberately disobeyed the Lord and here brings on even greater sorrow into his home. In response to hearing his father's blessings here, Esau goes and marries yet again. But this time, not to one of Canaan. Now, there's some things illustrated here. And if you're following in the outline, I'll break them, break them away. Break them away. I know my way back, but I want to cover something here. Esau seemingly responds, as a man likely my age or older, immediately to his father's leadership. Where was that leadership his whole life? Here's what we need to acknowledge about Esau. He'd always followed the leadership of his father. It was his father, after all, who loved the taste of that venison. It was his father, after all, who likely bragged upon his boy's ability to hunt that encouraged him to go do that. Now, we don't find Esau blameless. This might even be the first time I defend him in any of this study. But we need to understand this, this man had been listening to his father the whole time. And he responds even here. Daddy says, don't take a bride from this land. Esau hears, I've got to also find a bride that's not of this land. In the, in the text, it's really laid out like this. Isaac says to Jacob to do such and such, Jacob obeys. Esau hears Isaac say such and such, sees Jacob go and obey, and so he goes and attempts to do likewise. Now, in all the actions of Esau we've seen so far, we've made sure to point out he never had a repentant spirit. But he's constantly trying to please his father here. 
He's constantly trying. This is why salvation is not based of works. This is why we can't earn it, because we wouldn't be able to keep it. It's hard. It's hard to read these events. It's hard to uh, read of these events specifically and think of folks in our lives who just keep trying. They just keep trying to achieve and trying to knock and trying to receive and trying to work and trying to earn. And it will never come to pass, lest it be of the Lord. It's a tough thing. Were we to consider the Lord for even a moment, to consider his word, consider his instruction, consider those questions that we handled in Malachi. Uh, and, and again, if you receive the outlines, you know we're about to answer some of the questions in Micah. And then they're very, very similar. They're dealing with a, a, a people, the nation of Israel, who are having their ears tickled, essentially. We're doing just fine. We're the Lord's people. No harm shall come unto us. Anyone who knows history, I mean, this didn't happen just before World War II, but some of World War II pales in comparison to what the nation of Israel had already gone through before that time. Uh, exile was on the horizon, and they were still saying, tickle my ears, make me feel good. Preacher, prophet, how great are we? No doubt we've watched countless numbers enter that door and leave through the same door because they didn't feel great when they left. Their toes were sore from something Milburn had said. And maybe Jeff even got on them a little bit. No doubt I've upset some myself. The truth does that because we're so entangled with the flesh that all week long, all week long. We live in a society that gives trophies for a little bit of everything. I uh, I liked Brother Hilly's message this morning. Facebook gave me a badge. They gave me a badge for liking someone else's sermon. I didn't show up for church there today. I didn't even dress as a churchgoer when I listened to that message this morning. I was working. I probably could have paid better attention than what I did. I hope he's not listening. But I got a badge from Facebook. I'm Bible Baptist Church's top fan, which is sad. We get badges and trophies and accolades for a little bit of everything. That ain't going to get you salvation. Esau is a warning. Matthew Henry wrote here that Esau thought by pleasing his parents in one thing to atone for other wrongdoings. Carnal hearts are apt to think themselves as good as they should be because in some one matter, they are not so bad as they have been. Sadly, I know that was reinforced in my, my house growing up. Do something horrible one minute, but try to do something twice as good the next and everything will work out. Parents, we're, we're not doing our children any favors when we don't illustrate the truths of God's word, when we don't teach them certain chapters because judgment's hard, judgment's difficult, we don't really want to talk about that. We're doing them no favors because they may live 70 good years in this life. Maybe America continues on another 70 great years so that uh, Zebediah and Nolan and Derek Jr. go on in a wonderful world. That at the end of all that, if they know nothing at judgment, they're going to be surprised, even a little bit surprised. When as the curtain goes up and it's the end of the scene, there is this throne for which they must stand. 
compelled to be completely honest and try to defend their life before God. And as we've said before, there's only one defense, and that's the name of Jesus. Those that were spared in Egypt were those that were atoned for, those for which the blood was on the door. Well, how, how could one make such a decision? God made that decision long before any of us. Well, that election stuff, I'll throw all that out. Take it up with the judge. Take it up with the one who created all things, and we've rebelled against all things. Genesis 28, 8 in our text says, Esau, seeing that the daughters of Canaan pleased not Isaac his father, his attempt was to please his earthly father. This didn't make dad happy, and I lost out on the blessing. And I'm going to do this thing because it will make dad happy. Why was Isaac so shaken? He only had the one blessing to give. Esau's actions convey a very little concern for the Heavenly Father, but it also conveys one almost as a child thinking, Dad can take it back. Dad can go and get that blessing back from little brother and give it back to me. I just have to do better. I just have to do well. I just have to do good enough. Beloved, hear me this night. Good enough will not get you into the gates of heaven. And you can be charitable, and you can be kind, and you can be sweet. That's right. It won't get you into heaven. What point is there, preacher? What gets us into heaven, preacher? I'm glad Zebediah asked. Only the blood of Jesus. Steve taught on it this past weekend. Repent and believe. Believe and repent. I believe you touched on its inst instantaneousness of that, and, uh, like a gun being fired and it hitting a hole. There's a sequence to it. We break it down to teach it. But the plain fact is you can't repent unless you believe. Unless you repent, you won't see the kingdom of heaven. You must be born again. You must be made into something new. And you can't make yourself into something new. This piano can't suddenly make itself an electric organ. That'd be something very different, would it not? Very different than a piano. Very different than what it's been for years. What it was tuned to be months ago. But it can't do that to itself. It couldn't even tune itself. After a period of time, the piano here keeps getting more and more and more out of tune. And the only thing it can do is to be more and more disharmonious, if you will. It has to be brought back into harmony. A, a sounding fork or a tuning uh, uh, harmonica of sorts, something that has the true note, has to be used to bring it back in. It has to turn back to the way it departed from. This is us. This is us, everything in this life, dragging us away from the Lord. Everything in that world out there, dragging us away from harmony with God. He marries Mahalath. I'm not sure that I'm saying it right, but we'll get another chance in Genesis later. This is the daughter of Ishmael and sister to a brother I can't pronounce, Nebajoth, of whom the Nabataeans 
will come from, which we'll have reference to later. It does make sense that the parents would name both of them and possibly to pronounce names. I will give them that. That brings us to our fourth and final point, which is Jacob, which will be the, the central character for what we follow uh, for the next period of this book. And he's been our writer for a while now. But Jacob here, and I, and I want to make note again, he's not a young man. When he started out on, on this venture, when he went back to uh, his mother's uh, father's home, he would have been at least, very likely, 70, 77 years old. And here's the math. I taught him a lesson in, t in uh, temperance once about um, showing him the math of something like this. And, and you can imagine, because you're about to see it, it doesn't go well. The only thing people don't want to do after hearing uh, 20 minutes of a sermon is to try and hear them do math in front of them. So I will ask you to be patient, but I'm also going to give you reference to how we prove this age. In Genesis 47, verse 9, it states that Jacob was 130 years old when he went to Egypt. Joseph was 17 when he was sold into Egypt and was 30 when he was presented to Pharaoh in Genesis 41, verse 46. I need a dry erase board. Just kind of write all this out. Add then Joseph's 13 years as a servant to the seven years of plenty and two years of famine. And you have Joseph at about 39 years of age when Jacob came to Egypt. This means Joseph was born when Jacob was 91. And Genesis 30, verse 25, indicates that when Joseph was born, Jacob already had already fulfilled his 14 years of service with his wives. This indicates that Jacob was about 77 years old when he began to walk on his own. And I know that feels complicated, but think, I mean, sometimes I like to think a little bit more simple. Why exactly did the Lord tell us how many years he had to work for those two wives he's about to find? Uh, there's times in which that math is very, very important to, uh, to the preacher and hopefully to the Bible students as they try to figure out uh, the age of these individuals. But it's important for us to note these things because um, Genesis 22, a, a, a five-year-old Isaac in Genesis 22 is very different than a 20-year-old Isaac in Genesis 22. So those things do matter. Now, in order to fulfill the role that God had for Jacob, he had to come out from among his parents. Oh, why, Pastor? Why should he have to come out from this home? It's so good to be around mother and father and brother. Really? There's been no part of Jacob's life so far that's been enjoyable to teach. And I can't imagine it's been a whole lot of fun to hear. This is the type of family problems that when you hear about them in, in real life, you go, oh. And what do we usually say? I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for your family. I'm going to pray for you. Oh, that, that's unfortunate. I'm going to pray for you. This is what you would have said to Jacob if you'd met him during that period of time. Jacob had to come out from among that. Why? Because Rebecca was, uh, found herself feeling that God was dependent on her to take some kind of action. She felt that Isaac had to take some action but missed his window, so now she had to do it. Isaac felt that he could sway the will of God so that Esau was blessed but not his son, even though God had said back in 25 that you know it was going to be Jacob. It was going to be the older serving the younger. This is how it was going to happen. Isaac says, well, I know. I was supposed to die on Mount Moriah, but I didn't. And I'm sure God's mutable now. That's not a home where Jacob needed to stay. And I say this because somebody might need to hear this. You might need to leave home too. Now, brother, beloved, I love y'all. I'm not speaking to a situation that I know. But I can speak to one that I do know. And 17 and a half years old, it was time for me to leave. 
I was a former Catholic that was saved at a Baptist uh, youth meeting, confused as all get out, and I had to go to Toledo and find a Baptist church that was going to feed me to one day be used as I am now. No, I didn't know that at 17. At 17, I had a whole lot of other miserable reasons why I needed to get out of, out of the house, and I never moved back, for the record. But the Lord blessed that. The Lord used that. The Lord commands that for a husband and wife, by the way. It's good. Uh, our doctors have proven, scientists have proven that our own biology, especially for men, the reason that teenage years for a man are, are hard with their father and hard with their mother is because the, the very chemistry of their body is stretching to find the limits, trying to find their manhood, trying to find their place in the world, trying to find uh, what they would term as their escape, but also trying to find the limits of the parents' love, trying to find the limits of their parents' compassion. Jacob had to come out from underneath his dad's weaknesses. He had to come out from underneath his mother's lack of submission, not only her submission to uh, Isaac, but her submission to the will of God, which is first and foremost really in regards to what happens here with Jacob. And Jacob had to come out from underneath his brother's worldliness. We'll see Esau again, but he had to come away from this. Jacob's journey ahead is going to reveal the Lord's blessings for him as well, uh, especially his interaction with, uh, with his own physical weakness later as he's touched in the, in, the, in the leg and he spends the remainder of his life leaning on a staff. It's really symbolic of how Jacob needed to lean upon God. It's really symbolic as we recognize we too must lean on God. You know, sometimes our leaning on God looks weird feels weak. Sometimes our leaning on God uh, for small things feels unnecessary. I can do this and, and this, and, and you know I don't probably need the Lord's help or the Lord's strength for some of these things. You need him for all things. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you want to do nothing? Because apart from him, that's all you're going to muster up. Well, I could run my own business. I could be wealthy and a millionaire. And take as much of that with you as you'd like. You'll still have nothing when you die. You need the Lord Jesus. If you're here and you sympathize with any of these four that we've read about so far for the last month and a half or so, look for the will of God. Look at who did the forsaking. Who did the following, if any. Look at how honestly and profoundly long-suffering God was throughout this entire endeavor. I think when, when the two were struggling in the womb, it almost seemingly depicts the struggle they were going to be born into as Isaac and Rebekah wrestled over the will of God. And we say to ourselves, if he would just plainly say, so-and-so will be a preacher one day. So-and-so will be a teacher one day. So-and-so will be this and that and contribute in this way. Well, if he would just tell us, we would just follow. We would be obedient if he would just reveal it. Abraham told the rich man, not so. We see it in our own members. But here the Lord told Rebekah what was going to happen. For her part, she couldn't see how it was going to happen in spite of her husband. And for her husband's part, he couldn't see how it was going to happen because it's not what he wanted. 
For Esau's part, he didn't believe. And for Jacob's part, he, I wrestled because of the age that he had to have been at this point. He just kept following others. I, I really do believe that's why he was sent out of that home. Mom says this, yes. Mom says that, yes. He deceives his own father. He, he dresses up to deceive his own earthly father. He had to be sent away. He had to go and experience God for himself. And beloved, sometimes that's difficult. But sometimes that ends in a blessed experience. When you feel the hand of the Lord on you in a strange land, in circumstances you wouldn't have expected. It's always a good thing to know the Lord loves you. 